the unicameral update. Published by the Unicameral Information Office under the direction of the Clerk of the Legislature. Title Omnibus Government Regulation Bill Clears First Round A proposal meant to clarify procedures for interpreting state laws and regulations was amended to include provisions of several additional bills and advanced to select file January 23rd. LB 43, as introduced by Bellevue Senator Rita Sanders, would direct hearing officers and judges not to rely on a state agency's interpretation of state laws or regulations in contested cases under the Administrative Procedures Act. Sanders said the goal is to focus more on the legislative intent behind laws and less on agency interpretations in situations involving disputes over state agency actions. Deferring to state agency interpretations often serves to enhance the power of an unelected bureaucracy, she said. In our system of government, it's important for the legislature, the people's branch of the government, to say what it means when granting authority to executive branch agencies, Sanders said. A government, military, and veterans affairs committee amendment, adopted 37-0, added the provisions of five additional bills that address the state's Administrative Procedures Act and Public Records Act. Gordon Senator Tom Brewer, chairperson of the committee, said the measures focus on shielding Nebraskans from government overreach, protecting religious freedom, improving government transparency, and protecting the state's cyberspace efforts through changes to public records laws. Included in the amendment are provisions of Brewer's LB-277, which would adopt the First Freedom Act. The act would create a more restrictive standard for imposing a substantial burden on a person's right to the exercise of religion. Any such religious restriction would have to be essential to the furtherance of a compelling state interest and be administered by the least restrictive means possible. The act would not apply to government actions taken in an emergency, as long as restrictions on religious practice are not greater than those placed on non-religious organizations and businesses. It also would provide a legal cause of action for a person whose exercise of religious freedom has been subject to an undue restriction. Brewer said the provisions would address situations such as when the government placed greater restrictions on the operation of churches than businesses during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. They should be on the same playing field, he said. LB-277 also contains provisions that would authorize indigenous tribal members who are students in approved or accredited public schools to wear tribal regalia, including garments, jewelry, and other adornments or traditional objects of cultural significance at any school facility or function, unless doing so would prevent school purposes or interfere with the educational process. Omaha Senator John Kavanaugh expressed concern regarding provisions of LB-277 related to the First Freedom Act, which he said could be used to challenge important existing government protections. He offered an amendment to clarify that the provisions could not be used to challenge any provision of law that provides protections against discrimination or the promotion of equal opportunity. It's important that this bill be a shield to protect the religious freedom rights of people, and not a sword to challenge well-settled non-discrimination law or employment protections, Kavanaugh said. Senator John Fredrickson of Omaha said he fully supported LB-277's provisions, protecting students' right to wear tribal regalia, calling the history of discrimination against Native American students long and very cruel. He expressed concerns, however, regarding the way in which claims of infringement upon religious freedoms recently have been weaponized against the LGBTQ community in ways that he described as far beyond an expression of simple religious faith. 
Kavanaugh withdrew his amendment before a vote was taken, saying he hoped to continue working on the bill before the next round of debate. Other provisions, also included in the committee amendment, are provisions of LB-366, sponsored by Senator Danielle Conrad of Lincoln, which seek to improve the process for fulfilling information requests under the state's Public Records Act. The measure would differentiate between Nebraska residents and non-residents when applying a fee structure for requests, but all news media would be considered residents for fee purposes. Currently, Nebraska residents may be charged for time spent fulfilling a request beyond the first four hours. Conrad's proposal would change that threshold to eight hours and allow non-residents to be charged the full cost of fulfilling a request. In addition, it would require that any claim that a request requires more than four days to fulfill be attested to under oath before being provided in writing to the requester. Conrad said the provisions represent a long-overdue update of Nebraska's public records law and seek to prevent a continued tamping down of citizens' right to know what the government is doing in their name and with their tax dollars. It was once very simple and straightforward to get information about what government was up to, and it's become increasingly difficult, she said. A provision originally in LB-366 that would have provided that police body camera video of an in-custody death be considered a public record after the conclusion of a required grand jury proceeding was removed by the committee amendment. Also included are provisions of LB-297, sponsored by Sanders, that would prohibit state and local government agencies from compelling a nonprofit organization to release the personal information of its members, supporters, volunteers, or donors. The provisions would not apply to legally required disclosures under the Nebraska Political Accountability and Disclosure Act, or for use in criminal or civil investigations. The committee amendment adds exceptions related to evaluation of applications for occupational and facility licenses and criminal history checks, and includes a damages maximum of $2,500 per violation. Sanders said there recently has been a nationwide push to mandate disclosure of the personal information of nonprofit donors in order to target people based on their beliefs. She said such measures infringe on individual First Amendment rights and that nonprofits should be able to keep donor information confidential. Finally, the amendment includes provisions of two additional proposals. LB 650, introduced by Omaha Senator Mike McDonnell, would amend public records law to permit withholding by the state or any political subdivision of records relating to the nature, location, or function of cybersecurity. LB 41, sponsored by Senator Ben Hansen of Blair, would prohibit the state from placing intrusive or politically motivated filing or reporting requirements on charitable organizations beyond those required by state law unless narrowly tailored to serve a compelling state interest or to fulfill federal funding requirements. Following adoption of the committee amendment, Senators advanced LB 43 to select file on a 37-0 vote. Title, Chief Justice Highlights Judicial Branch Progress, Challenges. Nebraska Supreme Court Chief Justice Michael Hevekin delivered his State of the Judiciary Address to Senators, January 25th. Hevekin began by outlining significant improvements in judicial branch staffing. He said the judicial branch workforce now exceeds pre-pandemic staffing levels, with a turnover rate of just over 5%. Those improvements are no accident, Hevekin said, noting the legislature's recent partnership to help address workforce shortages by funding salary increases for judicial branch staff. Collaborative courts such as problem-solving courts continue to be successful, Hevekin said, 
calling attention to the recent expansion of the Young Adult Problem-Solving Court in Douglas County. He said the addition of an employment coordinator to that program has resulted in a 13% decrease in unemployment for participants. Problem-solving courts also are cost-effective, he said, with an annual average cost of $4,400 for each participant compared to the $41,000 cost for incarceration. Like probation, each problem-solving court is the taxpayer's friend, Hevikin said. Highlighting the state's probation programs, Hevikin said Nebraska Probation and the Nebraska Department of Labor recently partnered to provide employment training and opportunities for individuals on probation in Nebraska's 17 community reporting centers. This important cooperation will assist those on probation with obtaining and maintaining employment to be successful citizens, he said. In 2023, there was a 25% increase in youth ordered to probation, but recidivism rates for juveniles on probation have held steady at 19% for the past two years, Hevikin said. Despite that success, he said, challenges remain. For example, there is a need to address the state's lack of juvenile detention facilities, which are located entirely in the eastern side of the state, he said. There are no juvenile detention facilities west of this building, and counties have no incentive to fund them, Hevikin said. We are forced to pay Iowa, Kansas, and Wyoming in order to handle our juvenile detention needs. Additional funding for language access initiatives also is needed, Hevikin said. Last year, Nebraska courts utilized interpreters for 69 languages, he said. As an example of the workload, Hevikin noted that the court served 12 families who spoke six different languages during a single truancy hearing last year in Lancaster County. The Chief Justice also noted the need for self-contained IT infrastructure for the judicial branch to assist individuals who are hard of hearing and to address potential security threats. Recently, the Kansas court system was hit by a cyber attack that compromised sensitive personal information, including social security and bank account numbers, Hevikin said. Additionally, the attack affected lawyers' public access to online filings and court documents highlighting the need for upgrades in court system security, he said. Kansas serves as a warning for the rest of us, Hevikin said. If the Kansas Supreme Court fell victim to a sophisticated foreign cyber attack without needed upgrades, we must consider ourselves equally vulnerable. Committee, Banking, Commerce, and Insurance Title Safeguards Advance for Genetic Information Privacy Nebraskans would have more control over use of their genetic information, under a bill advanced from General File January 23rd. Under LB 308, sponsored by Lincoln Senator Elliot Bostar, express consent would be required from Nebraska residents for the sharing, storage, and use of any consumer genetic data by direct-to-consumer genetic testing services. Bostar said direct-to-consumer genetic tests are becoming more popular and that roughly one in five Americans has taken one. This increase in popularity has led to growing concerns about how that data is used, he said because it is not regulated in the same manner as genetic data arising from medical tests. Ancestry and 23andMe developed privacy best practices in 2018, Bostar said, which were translated into model legislation that has been adopted by 11 states so far. Genetic information consists of our most sensitive and personal information, Bostar said. It uniquely identifies an individual, reveals their propensity to develop certain diseases, and gives insight on family, ethnic, and cultural background. Under the bill, a direct-to-consumer genetic testing company 
could not disclose a consumer's genetic data to any entity offering health, life, or long-term care insurance, or to an employer without written consent. The measure also would require a process by which consumers could delete their accounts and their genetic data. Following adoption of a Technical Banking, Commerce, and Insurance Committee amendment on a 39-0 vote, lawmakers advanced LB 308 to select File 39-0. Title. Changes to Colorectal Cancer Insurance Coverage Considered. The Banking, Commerce, and Insurance Committee heard testimony January 22nd on a bill that would change provisions related to insurance coverage for colorectal cancer screening. LB 829, sponsored by Senator Carol Blood of Bellevue, would add the concurrent removal of polyps, biopsy, or both to coverage requirements for colorectal cancer screening by self-funded employee benefit insurance plans in Nebraska. Such plans are required to cover screening exams and laboratory tests for individuals who are at least 45 years old. If a polyp is found and removed during a screening colonoscopy, however, the procedure instead may be deemed as diagnostic, Blood said, which could lead to hundreds of dollars in unexpected additional charges. This expense creates a barrier to the life-saving screening for those who are most at risk for colorectal cancer, she said. This loophole could be the difference between life and death. John Trapp, a pulmonary and critical care physician, testified in support of the proposal on behalf of the Nebraska Medical Association. He said the bill would be a positive step toward removing cost as a barrier to treatment of polyps before they become malignant. It is far easier on the patient to remove a polyp during a colonoscopy than to require a second procedure, Trapp said, and doing so lowers costs and improves health outcomes. If a patient knows that they won't face additional costs if a polyp is found, it might encourage them to be screened, he said. Fewer than 65% of Nebraskans ages 45 to 75 meet the recommendation and receive colorectal cancer screening, Trapp said. That is, unfortunately, in spite of the fact that Nebraska has a higher rate of colorectal cancer than the national average. Testifying on behalf of AARP Nebraska, June Ryan also spoke in support of LB 829. Colorectal cancer is almost entirely preventable with recommended screenings she said. And yet 1,692 Nebraskans died of colorectal cancer between 2011 and 2015. About one-third of adults skipped the recommended screenings that could help prevent and help treat this deadly disease, Ryan said. And often the reason for skipping these screenings is due to lack of insurance coverage. No one testified in opposition to LB 829, and the committee took no immediate action on the measure. Committee. Business and Labor. Title. Apprenticeship Grant Program Considered. The Business and Labor Committee heard testimony January 22nd on a bill intended to assist individuals who are receiving public benefits to achieve full-time employment through a registered apprenticeship program. LB 993, introduced by Sumner Senator Teresa Ibaugh, would create the Apprenticeship Grant Act to be administered by the State Department of Economic Development. Under the Act, DED could provide grants of up to $37,000 per enrolled apprentice to qualified Nebraska businesses. Funds would be used to reimburse the cost of on-the-job training and classroom instruction for underemployed individuals who also are receiving state-funded economic assistance. Qualifying businesses would need to be partnered with a registered apprenticeship program and offer full-time employment upon successful completion of the apprenticeship program that pays a wage sufficient to reduce the individual's participation in economic assistance programs. 
The bill also would create the Apprenticeship Nebraska Cash Fund and authorize up to $4 million in total annual grants. The measure would not, however, transfer or direct any state dollars to the fund. The fund could accept legislative appropriations, donations, bequests, or other contributions from public or private entities. Ibaugh said the measure was inspired by Ignite Nebraska, a registered apprenticeship program currently operating in the state. Ignite Nebraska has developed an excellent workforce model that connects community partners, employers, and educational institutions to provide paid apprenticeship opportunities with the promise of a full-time job offer in a high-demand, high-skilled, high-paying career, Ibaugh said. LB993 seeks to expand this program statewide. Joni Wheeler, founder of Ignite Nebraska, testified in favor of the bill, which she said could replicate the success of her program statewide. Every graduate of Ignite Nebraska has received full-time employment in their field, she said. Of the alumni who previously received economic assistance from the state of Nebraska, 100% no longer rely on state-funded support, Wheeler said. This bill is a game-changer in workforce development, and it is life-changing for Nebraskans. Speaking in support of LB993, Luke Grobeck said graduating from the Ignite Nebraska program made it possible for him not only to survive and afford basic necessities, but to thrive and pursue additional education. I no longer worry about affording my rent or maintenance on my car because my career has enabled me to build financial stability and independence, Grobeck said. The apprenticeship ensured that I focused on learning the new skills I needed in the classroom without having to worry about losing access to the resources I needed to be successful. Carter Thiel, Policy and Research Coordinator for the Lincoln Independent Business Association, also testified in support of LB 993. He suggested modifications to the program's administration, however, and suggested that lawmakers increase the proposed annual grant cap from $4 million to $8 million to allow for full utilization of the program across the state. Increased funding and a more business-friendly approach could ensure that the Apprenticeship Grant Act not only achieves its noble goals, but also becomes a resounding success story for the great state of Nebraska, Thila said. Testifying on behalf of the State Council of Electrical Workers, John Nebel spoke in opposition to the bill. Although not opposed to the development of registered apprenticeships, Nebel noted that many positions in the trades require an apprentice to obtain an additional license or certification before they can be considered for a full-time position. The result, he said, is that some contractors could view the bill's requirement of a job guarantee as a disincentive to participate in the program. The committee took no immediate action on LB 993. Committee Education Title School Lunch Debt Collection Ban Proposed School districts would be barred from contracting with debt collection agencies to collect students' outstanding lunch or breakfast debt under a measure considered by the Education Committee January 23rd. LB 855, introduced by Lincoln Senator Danielle Conrad, also would prohibit school districts from assessing or collecting interest, fees, or other monetary penalties for outstanding debts on a student's school lunch or breakfast account. Conrad said she doesn't believe the practice of using collection agencies for school lunch or breakfast debt is widespread in Nebraska, but that some families in Lincoln have been turned over to collections for outstanding lunch bills as low as $20. When families are living on the edge, and these are the families who can't pay their school meal debt, and they get turned over to collections, it really starts to spiral for them, Conrad said.
Many families cannot afford legal counsel, Conrad said, and a default judgment on school lunch debt will impact their credit report, which could impede their ability to rent housing. Katie Nungesser testified in support of the measure on behalf of Voices for Children in Nebraska. School meal costs have risen in recent years, Nungesser said, and families who are just above the qualifying threshold to receive free or reduced lunch have struggled to stay on top of the expense. Chase Boyd of Omaha also testified in favor of the bill. During his fourth grade year, Boyd said, his family was impacted by the 2008 recession, and their financial difficulties resulted in lunch debt. One day in the lunch line, Boyd said a school nutrition worker told him to tell his parents that he had an overdue bill. Boyd said he was left to wonder if eating lunch was hurting his family. It is my belief that no child should have to go through or experience what I did, Boyd said. The embarrassment that I felt that day should be no child's cross to bear. Stephen Grizzle, superintendent of South Central Nebraska Unified School District No. 5, testified in opposition to the bill. While he appreciated the measure's intent, Grizzle said families may stop paying for school meals if there are no consequences, which could lead to a significant loss of revenue for school districts. I feel like this is another example of a bill being passed that's requiring the school districts to pick up more and more costs, Grizzle said. Schools also get accused of spending too much money and being the sole reason for high property taxes. The committee took no immediate action on the bill. Title Easing of non-public school regulations considered. Laws regulating Nebraska schools that choose not to meet accreditation requirements would be relaxed under a bill heard January 22nd by the Education Committee. Such schools, which may be private, parochial, denominational, group, or home-based, are referred to as exempt. Elmwood Senator Robert Clements, sponsor of LB 1027, said the bill aims to eliminate cumbersome administrative barriers for parents who educate their children in exempt schools. I believe it's important to respect the privacy of parents who have elected to pursue alternative educational settings for their children, Clement said. The parents should be the primary person in charge of a child's education. Under the bill, the application process to attend an exempt school would be the same as the requirement for public schools with only one parent required to apply to the State Department of Education. Current law requires two parents or guardians to apply for their child to attend an exempt school, LB 1027, also would eliminate the annual application required to attend exempt schools, which entails three multiple-page forms that parents and schools must file annually. Many parents and schools don't receive their application acknowledgement letter from the department promptly, Clement said, forcing parents to begin educating their children without it. The bill also seeks to harmonize state law with current department practices, Clements said, including removing language that requires subject matter testing for employees of exempt schools. The change would align the requirements for exempt school employees with those of public school teachers, who no longer must complete the praxis exam. Finally, LB 1027 would remove the department's authority to visit or inspect exempt schools, and to proctor achievement testing of exempt school students. Clement said the department has never carried out inspections of exempt schools or achievement testing. David Lostro testified in support of the bill on behalf of the Nebraska Christian Home Educators Association. The State Department of Education operates on the more lenient end of the scale when it comes to regulating exempt schools, he said, 
but nothing in current state law prevents the department from becoming more restrictive in the future. Lostro said LB 1027 would solidify current practices and ensure that no further restrictions on exempt schools are enacted. Shannon Splonskowski, president of the Bellevue Area Christian Homeschoolers Co-op, also testified in support of the bill. Splonskowski said that, while she doesn't need the department's acknowledgement letter to homeschool, it serves as evidence that she operates legally. The department's issuance of the letter has become less timely in recent years, she said, which can lead to other problems. Current law allows home visits by the department, Splonskowski said, and misinformed neighbors or school officials have been known to notify Child Protective Services when they suspect that kids are truant from school. Having the acknowledgement letter in my possession is confirmation that the state, at least for the time being, is not going to take action against us for not complying with education laws, Splonskowski said. Ashley Mason, a homeschool parent from Gage County who assists other homeschool families, also testified in support of the bill. Homeschool regulations in Nebraska are burdensome and intimidating, she said, and are more restrictive than those found in other states. Mason also said the current two-signature requirement prevents single-parent households from homeschooling and fails to consider circumstances like domestic violence. Brian Halstead, Deputy Commissioner of the Nebraska Department of Education, provided neutral testimony. He said the department agrees with most of the proposed changes in LB 1027 and recognizes the need to update state laws regarding exempt schools, which hasn't been done in over 40 years. He said the department is opposed, however, to changing the annual enrollment policy. The department views enrollment as a yearly activity, he said, which also is a requirement for public school students. No one testified in opposition to the bill, and the committee took no immediate action on it. Title, School Supply Reimbursement Proposed. Nebraska teachers could be reimbursed up to $300 for the purchase of school supplies under a bill considered by the Education Committee January 22nd. LB 1052, introduced by Fremont Senator Lynn Walsh, would allow K-12 teachers from any approved or accredited public, private, denominational, or parochial school to apply for reimbursement of up to $300 annually for school supplies purchased with personal funds. The Nebraska Department of Education would be responsible for establishing a reimbursement policy and administering payments. To receive reimbursement, participating teachers would need to provide receipts for the purchased supplies, and the policy would take effect beginning with the 2024-25 school year. Walt said a report from the Institute of Education Sciences found that, on average, teachers spend $478 each school year on school-related expenses. Many teachers face financial difficulties, she said, and being reimbursed for school supplies could help alleviate that burden. This bill is meant to recognize and show appreciation for the work that teachers do and to let them know that our state is here to support them too, Walsh said. Tim Royers testified in support of the bill on behalf of the Millard and Nebraska State Education Associations. He said teachers would appreciate acknowledgement of the money they spend on classroom-related items. The importance of this bill goes beyond just the dollars provided, Royers said. The acknowledgement of the state that teachers are taking these extra steps to make our classrooms welcoming environments goes a long way. Edison McDonald, executive director of the ARC of Nebraska, also supported the bill. He said that despite recent funding increases, special education teachers often use their own money to provide additional resources and support for their students. 
Heidi Gilliland of Papillion spoke in opposition to LB 1052, citing concerns over a $130 million bond in her local district and the additional burden the bill could place on taxpayers. When you talk about giving more money to teachers while I appreciate everything they do, that's my money, that's my taxes, Gilliland said. The committee took no immediate action on the bill. Committee. Government, Military, and Veterans Affairs. Title. Easing of Occupational Licensure Clears First Round. Senators advanced a bill from General File January 22nd, aimed at alleviating certain occupational licensure regulations in Nebraska. LB-16, originally introduced last year by former Albion Senator Tom Breezy, was taken up this session by Senator Danielle Conrad of Lincoln. The bill would make a number of changes to state law regarding credentials for certain professions. A Government, Military, and Veterans Affairs Committee amendment, adopted 38-1, replaced the bill. Among other changes, the amended measure would provide broad reciprocal licensure for military members, apprentices, and individuals who are licensed in other states, provided they meet a number of criteria. It also would add two members to the State Electrical Board. Reducing barriers to entry into professions is an important element of a comprehensive approach to the state's workforce shortage, Conrad said, and approximately 20 other states have adopted similar policies. Those states subsequently have seen increased workforce participation and overall economic benefits, she said. This is about removing needless red tape from our statute books, Conrad said. This is about opening up competition, and this is about getting government out of the way when it comes to individuals who are seeking an opportunity to work and pursue their dreams. Seward Senator Jana Hughes supported the proposal. She called LB-16 a common-sense measure that would allow qualified individuals to join the one-in-four occupations that require licensure under Nebraska law. The state already has made progress toward this goal for many healthcare-related occupations and for teachers who are spouses of active military members. She said, If universal recognition can work for these two industries then I believe it's time for us to support LB-16 to bring even more licensed occupations under the universal recognition umbrella, Hughes said. Nebraska has a critical shortage of workers, and LB-16 provides a solution to help address this shortage. Among other provisions, the bill would require that applicants for reciprocal licensure must have held their credential for at least a year, hold a credential that covers a similar scope of practice as determined by the licensing board not have a disqualifying criminal record, as determined by the licensing board, not have had their credentials surrendered or revoked for negligence or misconduct, and not have an open complaint or investigation in any other jurisdiction related to unprofessional conduct or an alleged crime. Following the 39-to-1 adoption of a Conrad Amendment, lawmakers voted 41-to-1 to advance LB-16 to the second round of debate. Title, Land Surveyor Updates Clear First Round. Laws governing the work of professional land surveyors in Nebraska would be overhauled by a bill advanced from general file, January 25th. LB-102, sponsored by Bayard Senator Steve Erdman, would revise the Nebraska Plain Coordinate System Act, Land Surveyors Regulation Act, and related state laws that govern the land surveying profession in Nebraska. Among other provisions, the bill would provide new authority for professional land surveyors, and their assistants and trainees to enter public and private lands and waterways, to conduct land surveys, and to place survey monuments. Vehicles used for this purpose would have to be clearly marked with identifying information, 
and surveyors would be liable for any property or crop damage resulting from their work. Erdman said the idea came from a constituent in the land surveying profession who was having difficulty accessing private land to find a property marker. Calling the bill a common-sense approach to helping land surveyors do an important job, he noted that state laws governing the profession have not been updated since 1983. For example, Erdman said, county and state surveyors currently are able to go on private land to find markers without landowner permission, but others lack that authority. Many of our parcels of land are owned by absentee landowners or by an LLC or a trust, and so when the surveyor is trying to discover who owns the parcel and get permission, it could take several days or weeks to discover who that is, Erdman said. In addition, he said, the bill would protect private landowners by shielding them from liability for damages to surveyors incurred during their survey work, unless such damages are the result of an intentional tort. The bill also would define the scope of practice and licensure processes for land surveyors who offer their services through an organization and would set out a professional disciplinary process for the examining board to follow in enforcing the Land Surveyors Regulation Act, a government, military, and veterans affairs committee amendment, adopted 37-0, would allow county facilities other than a county courthouse to be used as storage for surveyor records and make other technical changes. Elmwood Senator Robert Clements supported the bill, noting that he had difficulty obtaining permission to access land near a farm that he purchased in order to establish property boundaries. Following adoption of the committee amendment, senators voted 37-0 to advance LB-102 to select file. Title, State Procurement Changes Advanced. Lawmakers gave first-round approval January 22nd to a bill that would make a number of changes to the process the state uses to obtain goods and services. Senator John Arch, sponsor of LB-461, said the bill resulted from a study of the State Department of Administrative Services procurement processes that was required under a bill passed by the legislature in 2022. The study was authorized in the wake of the state's failed contract for child welfare services with St. Francis Ministries. That contract, which was terminated early by the state after the agency proved unable to deliver on the contracted services, was underbid by 40 percent, Arch said. Had there been the ability to subjectively analyze this bid based on realism, the extremely low bid would have been a huge red flag, he said. In addition, Arch said, two other recent high-profile state contracts resulted in large expenditures for software that was never delivered. LB-461 could help avoid these types of flawed contracts that have cost the state millions in taxpayer dollars, he said, by fully implementing the study's suggestions for improving the state's procurement process. Annually, the state oversees hundreds of contracts worth billions of dollars to carry out our government functions to serve Nebraska, Arch said. It's been over 20 years since we've updated our procurement procedures. Among other changes, the bill would Detail the form of bid solicitations. Revise the factors to be considered when evaluating bids. Provide guidance for evaluating what are realistic and reasonable prices. Prohibit certain provisions in procurement contracts. Redefine which contracts are subject to DAS administration. Modify when proof-of-need analysis would be required, and require that the requesting agency provide a detailed requisition for services or personal property to be contracted. Senators voted 41-0 to adopt a government, military, and Veterans Affairs Committee amendment that would remove a resident bidder preference and make other technical changes to the bill. Senator Lynn Walls of Fremont, 
called the proposal the single most important piece of legislation that lawmakers would consider this year. Speaking in support of LB 461, she said the St. Francis situation was something that senators need to make sure never happens again. This was a terrible lesson learned about how we as a state would allow the cost of services to come before the care of our children, Walls said. North Platte Senator Mike Jacobson also spoke in support of the bill and the amendment. LB 461 would put the state's focus on how tax dollars are spent, he said, and would direct DAS to find entities that can provide services most efficiently. It's not always about the lowest bidder, Jacobson said. It's about who can deliver the job, who can do the job, and do we need the job done. Following adoption of the committee amendment, LB 461 advanced to select file on a 45-0 vote. Title, Partisan Elections for Certain Public Power Districts Advanced. An attempt to move public power and irrigation district elections to a partisan format was narrowed and advanced from general file January 26th. As originally introduced last session by Kearney Senator John Lowe, LB 541 would have required that all such elections be conducted on partisan ballots for both the primary and general elections. A government, military, and veterans affairs committee amendment adopted 31 to 9 would narrow the bill's provisions to cover only districts receiving annual revenue in excess of $500 million. The change effectively would limit the measure to the Nebraska Public Power District and the Omaha Public Power District. Lowe said he brought the proposal after learning of outside interests who were pouring thousands of dollars into NPPD elections in 2022, funds he characterized as East Coast money, meant to influence district members toward a specific political agenda. One NPPD candidate in his district received nearly $100,000 from one source, he said. Lowe acknowledged that none of those organizations engaged in wrongdoing or broke any laws, but he said making elections partisan would give voters a better idea of where candidates stand. Nebraskans have difficulty learning about down-ballot races, he said, and identifying candidates as Republicans, Democrats, or independents would simplify the process. Most of the time, that one-word choice will tell voters 99% of what they need to know about how a candidate will govern, Lowe said. Senator Barry Decay of Niobrara supported the bill and the amendment. A former member of the Nebraska Public Power District Board, Decay said groups from outside Nebraska are trying to influence power districts to move toward wind and solar power generation. These groups have never approached me or asked me what my views were on generation. They opposed me because of my party affiliation, Decay said. Senator Jane Raybould of Lincoln opposed the bill and offered a motion to recommit it to committee, saying public power is not a partisan issue. Moneyed interests have sought for years to influence Nebraska elections, Raybould said, usually in favor of oil, coal, and gas. Supporters of LB 541 only seem concerned, however, if that money comes from entities favoring wind and other renewable energy sources, she said. The good news for all Nebraskans is that the boards that are elected remain grounded in their mission of delivering reliable and affordable public power throughout the state, Raybould said. Bellevue Senator Carol Blood also opposed the bill. Candidates should be encouraged to think for themselves, she said, rather than being defined solely by their party affiliation. That philosophy has worked well in the Nebraska legislature in the past, she said, and in other nonpartisan elected bodies. In nonpartisan systems, Blood said, 
People are free to seek collaboration and compromise and are encouraged to work together and find common ground, rather than focusing on their own political agenda. Partisanship is not better for democracy, she said. Nonpartisanship is. Also speaking in opposition was Lincoln Senator George Dungan, who said nonpartisan elections encourage voters to do their research rather than simply voting for one party or the other. I think we should be encouraging more civic engagement, Dungan said. Raybould's recommit motion was defeated 15 to 28, and LB 541 advanced to select file on a 29 to 16 vote. Committee, Health and Human Services. Title, Expansion of Medicaid Fraud Investigation Powers Advanced. A bill that would update several provisions of the Nebraska False Medicaid Claims Act was advanced from general file January 23. LB 664, introduced by Ralston Senator Merv Reapy, would expand the authority of the state's Medicaid Fraud Control Unit. Under the bill, the unit, which is part of the state attorney general's office, would be authorized to investigate and prosecute cases of abuse, neglect, or exploitation of Medicaid recipients who receive medical services inside and outside of institutional settings. The proposal also would grant the Attorney General's Office access to all applicable records of any resident living in a Medicaid-funded facility when investigating and prosecuting instances of abuse, neglect, or exploitation, regardless of whether the resident is a Medicaid recipient. This would include an expansion of pre-existing subpoena powers. Medicaid fraud control units were granted these powers by Congress in the mid-1970s, Reapy said but current Nebraska law contradicts that authority by prohibiting the unit from reviewing or obtaining information concerning non-Medicaid residents of healthcare facilities without the patient's consent or a court order. LB664 makes Nebraska's laws consistent with Congress's intent and aligns this statute with similar provisions found in 49 other states, Reapy said. Lawmakers voted 41-0 to zero to advance the bill to the second round of debate. Title, Child Care Provider Assistance Proposed. The Health and Human Services Committee heard testimony January 26 on a bill that would create a new category of eligibility for Nebraska child care providers under the Child Care Subsidy Program. LB-856, introduced by Omaha Senator John Fredrickson, would exclude all earned and unearned income from eligibility determinations for the program for households with at least one individual who holds employment in a qualifying child care setting. Under the bill... Individuals who pass a criminal background check and are employed at least 20 hours a week at an in-home or licensed child care facility would be eligible for the child care subsidy for their own children under the program. Fredrickson said LB-856 is modeled after a successful initiative in Kentucky that resulted in more than 3,200 additional parents qualifying for subsidized child care for over 5,600 children. When adjusting these figures proportionally to Nebraska's population, Fredrickson estimated the bill would result in an additional 2,175 parent providers in the workforce, offering stable child care to more than 16,000 Nebraska children. The LB-856 concept is simple and measurable, he said. More workers recruited and retained in our child care workforce means more children served and more workers into our overall economy. Fredrickson said the State Department of Health and Human Services has estimated a cost of $21 million dollars to carry out the bill's provisions. But he noted that similar legislation enacted in Iowa was estimated to cost only $6.8 million. Even at $21 million, this is an investment that will pay dividends. He said, it is not possible to address the childcare crisis in a truly meaningful way without investment. 
Testifying on behalf of Voices for Children in Nebraska in support of LB-856, Anahi Salazar said many parents have had to reduce their hours or quit jobs due to a lack of accessible and affordable child care. 91% of Nebraska counties cannot meet local child care demands, she said, and 11 are considered child care deserts, having no licensed providers. These deserts have a negative impact not only on parents and children, but also the economy, Salazar said. In order to keep and attract families in Nebraska, there needs to be affordable and accessible high-quality child care for every child. Ann Brandt, executive director of Lincoln Littles, also testified in support of the measure. A survey conducted by Lincoln Littles and the Nebraska Public Policy Center found that nearly 60% of local child care facilities are experiencing shortages, she said. Many child care facilities have started offering discounted rates for employees' children in order to recruit staff, she said. But the resulting revenue loss is negatively impacting their long-term profitability. Passing LB-856 into law would not only recruit and retain more individuals to the child care field, but also put money back into businesses' pockets, Brandt said. Also testifying in support of the bill, Platt Institute representative Nicole Fox said employment in the child care industry has yet to return to pre-pandemic levels. Between January and April of 2020, employment in the child care sector declined by 33%, she said. Child care workers were forced to search for work in other industries, leading to child care staffing shortages and limited child care availability, Fox said. LB-856 provides a solution to a piece of Nebraska's critical workforce shortage puzzle by helping to increase child care options for working families while supporting those doing this important work. No one testified in opposition to LB-856, and the committee took no immediate action. Committee. Judiciary. Title. Case Transfer Protections for Juveniles Advanced. Senators gave first-round approval January 25th to a bill that would prevent certain statements made by juvenile defendants from being used against them in other proceedings. LB-184, introduced by Omaha Senator John Kavanaugh, aims to protect child defendants attempting to transfer their cases from adult to juvenile court by preventing their statements made to a mental health professional during the hearing process from being used against them in other proceedings. A mental health professional includes a psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, or licensed mental health practitioner. Kavanaugh said that some juveniles refrain from being honest with mental health professionals out of fear that their statements later could be used against them in court. This fear can hinder a mental health professional's ability to evaluate the child, he said. LB-184 is a small but important step for helping those children charged with law violations to get the treatment they need, Kavanaugh said. A Judiciary Committee amendment, adopted 40-0, to zero, replaced the bill. The amendment would clarify that such statements are admissible as evidence in the transfer proceedings in certain circumstances. It also would permit statements to be used for impeachment purposes. Senator Carolyn Bosson of Lincoln supported the bill and the amendment, which she said would enable courts to better determine which system, juvenile or adult, is best suited for a young person. Bosson said the amendment represents compromise language agreed to by county attorneys and law enforcement. Lincoln Senator George Dungan who worked as a public defender in juvenile court, also offered support for the bill. He said it is crucial for a juvenile to be honest with a mental health professional during the evaluation process, because it can help the court understand the individual's background. 
North Platte Senator Mike Jacobson also supported LB 184 and agreed with the importance of rehabilitating court-involved youth. He cautioned lawmakers, however, to remember that consequences also are necessary to help prevent future offenses. Following the adoption of the committee amendment, Senators advanced LB 184 to select file on a 41-0 vote. Title. Bill Permitting Syringe Sharing Programs Advanced. Senators gave first-round approval January 26 to a bill that would protect public or behavioral health programs and pharmacies from drug paraphernalia offenses when distributing clean, hypodermic needles to community members. LB 307, introduced by Omaha Senator Megan Hunt, would allow local jurisdictions to permit public and behavioral health organizations to implement syringe services programs by exempting staff and participants from drug paraphernalia prosecution. SSPs provide many services, Hunt said, including referrals to substance abuse treatment programs, care for infectious diseases, overdose prevention, education on safe injection practices and supplies to prevent overdoses. Hunt said SSPs also benefit communities by reducing litter and preventing used needles from being left in common spaces such as parks and playgrounds, in addition, studies show that SSPs can reduce the spread of infectious diseases like HIV and hepatitis C by 50%, she said. The measure offers a tool for localities that wish to adopt an SSP, Hunt said, but does not require any local government to participate or implement a program. Senator Rick Holdcroft of Bellevue spoke in support of LB 307. SSPs are a smart balance of harm reduction, rehabilitation, and enforcement efforts, he said. Drug addiction and the spread of communicable disease is a scourge on our community. Holdcroft said, Local governments or qualified health care providers should be able to legally distribute clean needles under careful and responsible circumstances. Speaker John Arch supported the measure and said that while people may initially believe that SSPs enable participants to continue using drugs, evidence shows that individuals who access an SSP are actually five times more likely to seek treatment. Also speaking in support of the bill, was North Platte Senator Mike Jacobson, who said the bill would positively impact all Nebraskans, including those in his district. As you dig in the bill and look at what we're trying to accomplish, particularly when it comes to not just handing out free needles, but being able to create a counseling environment, that's the brilliance in this bill, Jacobson said. Lawmakers adopted a technical amendment from the Judiciary Committee 39-0 before advancing LB 307 to select file on a 37-2 vote. Title, Extended Preservation of Sexual Assault Forensic Evidence Considered Individuals Who Have Undergone a Forensic Examination Following a Reported Sexual Assault Could Request That Law Enforcement Preserve That Forensic Evidence For An Additional 20 Years Under a Bill Considered January 26 By The Judiciary Committee LB 870 Introduced by Omaha Senator Michaela Kavanaugh Would Require Law Enforcement To Notify The Individual no later than 60 days prior to the end of the statutorily required retention period for such evidence of its intended destruction or disposal. Currently, law enforcement is required to preserve sexual assault forensic evidence for 20 years. Under the bill, a victim could request the preservation of their evidence for an additional 20 years. My goal in this is to give victims more information while doing it in a way that does not put them at further harm or risk, Kavanaugh said. The bill also would require law enforcement to notify the victim if there is a change in the status of their case, including if the case has been closed or reopened. Aaron Feistinger testified in support of the bill on behalf of the Women's Fund of Omaha. 
Allowing individuals to have power over their sexual assault evidence will give them control over their healing journey, she said. When survivors feel safe and supported throughout their interaction with medical and legal processes, they are more likely to report their assaults, and Nebraska is more likely to hold perpetrators accountable while achieving safety for our communities, Feistinger said. Also supporting the measure was Melanie Kirk, speaking on behalf of the Nebraska Coalition to End Sexual and Domestic Violence. Allowing evidence to be preserved longer could provide reassurance to survivors who may need additional time to heal after an assault, Kirk said. No one testified in opposition to LB 870, and the committee took no immediate action on the bill. Title, Bill Seeks to Ease Foster Care Transition. Youth who age out of the state's foster care system would receive additional records and documents under a bill considered by the Judiciary Committee January 24th. Currently, the State Department of Health and Human Services is required to develop a transition plan for state wards age 16 and older and provide certain documents. LB 945, introduced by Seward Senator Jana Hughes, outlines additional materials to be provided, including foster care review office reports, all case numbers and court records, available photographs of the child, a written explanation of the reason the child is leaving foster care, a document that describes the child's rights concerning education, health, visitation, and court participation, and a copy of the child's medical records, including but not limited to documents related to psychological care or evaluations, and a list of health care and mental health care providers the child saw while in care. Hughes said that visiting with those who assist youth aging out of the foster care system led her to better understand how providing information is vital to helping those youth understand their past. It's also a workforce concern, she said, because young adults who are missing information about themselves may have trouble obtaining employment. We have a workforce issue here in Nebraska that is not going to fix itself, Hughes said. We need to remove barriers so that people can get employed. The bill also would allow a state ward or their guardian ad litem to request additional case information through the courts before leaving foster care, which would be granted if deemed to be in the child's best interest. If a party objects to a document request, the court could allow a partial redaction or other measures to address privacy concerns, including waiving privacy rights. If the request is approved, the court would identify the confidential information the child may receive. DHHS would have 30 days to provide such information. Sarah Helvey of Nebraska Appleseed testified in support of the bill. Current state and federal laws require DHHS to provide youth aging out of foster care with certain documents already, she said, but some are not receiving all of the necessary information. LB 945 would clarify which documents youth are required to receive, Helvey said. Jerry Milner, a former associate commissioner with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, also supported the bill. He said young people without vital documents and information likely will encounter barriers to housing, education, employment, and health care. As long as we are going to allow young people to exit foster care to be on their own, we need to do every single thing we can to prepare them and equip them for life after foster care. Milner said. Bethany Bradley, who said she spent nearly two years in foster care before being adopted, also testified in favor of LB 945. Bradley said that while her adoptive parents have her vital records, she doesn't know much about her childhood or what relationships with her biological family were like. More information would help her and other foster youth understand their histories, 
she said. Giving us access to all of our information can help us prepare for our future because we understand our past, Bradley said. No one testified in opposition to the bill, and the committee took no immediate action on it. Title, Bills Would Bar HOA Prohibitions on Solar Installations, Political Signs. The Judiciary Committee heard testimony on two proposals January 25th that would prohibit homeowners associations from restricting the installation of solar panels or the placement of political signs on homeowner property. LB 1119, introduced by Lincoln Senator George Dungan, would prohibit HOAs from restricting the installation and use of solar panels in any covenant, declaration, bylaw, deed contract, or other agreement. Under the bill, any regulations prohibiting solar installations would be deemed void, and homeowners would have a civil cause of action if a violation occurred. Homeowners within reason should be able to do what they wish with their property, Dungan said. The bill would not harm any person or entity, he said, but rather would allow landowners to improve their homes without infringement of their personal property rights. Al Davis testified in support of the bill on behalf of the Nebraska chapter of the Sierra Club. Davis said solar energy has become more popular, affordable, and durable in recent years, and tax credits have made installation lucrative for homeowners. He said there is no evidence that homes with solar panels lower the value of neighboring properties. Solar panels on a roof are not an eyesore, but an adaptation to a new technology, which is helping our planet reduce the use of fossil fuels and should be encouraged rather than opposed by local and state governments, Davis said. Merlin Bartles of Lincoln testified in opposition to LB 1119. He expressed concern that installing solar panels on a home could increase costs for other association members who obtain property insurance through their HOA. LB 886, introduced by Lincoln Senator Danielle Conrad, would prohibit HOAs from banning political signs that promote candidates or ballot measures on homeowner property 90 days before or 10 days after an election. Conrad said she has heard numerous complaints during election seasons from individuals who were told by their HOA, or similar groups, that they couldn't display political signs on their property. LB 886 would ensure the preservation of two quintessential liberties, she said. Personal property rights and First Amendment rights. Under the bill, HOAs could, however, require that political signs be mounted to the ground, and homeowners could be limited to one sign for each candidate or ballot measure. LB 886 also would allow HOAs to prohibit a variety of signs, including those that have lights, sounds, or other distractions are larger than four feet by six feet or that threaten public safety. Grant Friedman testified in support of the bill on behalf of ACLU Nebraska. The First Amendment prohibits the government from encroaching on a resident's right to free speech, he said which includes the right to speak about political and electoral issues. While private organizations like HOAs have the ability to regulate private property within their associations, they cannot disregard the free speech rights of their residents, Friedman said. No one testified in opposition to LB 886, and the committee took no immediate action on either proposal. Committee. Revenue. Title. Income Tax Credit for Family Caregivers Proposed. Nebraskans could claim a state income tax credit for certain expenses they incur when caring for a family member under a bill heard January 25 by the Revenue Committee. Under LB 937, introduced by Senator Elliot Bostar of Lincoln, a family caregiver would be eligible for a non-refundable income tax credit equal to 50% of expenses incurred 
that are directly related to the care for and support of an eligible family member. The credit would be available beginning with tax year 2025. The maximum credit for a single tax year would be $2,000, or $3,000 if the family member is a veteran or has dementia. Bostar said the proposal recognizes the sacrifice made by the approximately 179,000 family caregivers in Nebraska who provide more than 168 million hours of unpaid care, worth roughly $2.8 billion annually. The average caregiver spends more than $7,200 each year to care for a family member, he said. To successfully address the challenges of a surging population of older adults, as well as the hurdles associated with living with chronic conditions, we must develop methods to enable caregivers to continue to support their loved ones at home and in the community, Bostar said. Certain improvements to the family member's primary residence, the purchase of durable medical equipment, or the hiring of a home care aide, would be among the expenditures eligible for the credit. To qualify as an eligible family member, an individual would require assistance with at least two activities of daily living, live in a private residence, and qualify as the caregiver's dependent, spouse, parent, or other relation by blood or marriage. Only caregivers with a federal adjusted gross income of less than $50,000 or $100,000 if married filing jointly could claim the credit. The State Department of Revenue estimates that LB 937 would reduce state general fund revenue by approximately $37.1 million in fiscal year 2025-26, $43.3 million in fiscal year 2026-27, and $48.3 million in fiscal year 2027-28. Susan DeCamp testified in support of the bill on behalf of AARP Nebraska. She said caregivers are essential to the stability of Nebraska's long-term care system because they allow many of the state's older residents to remain in their homes instead of moving to expensive, taxpayer-funded assisted living and nursing facilities. Caregivers have saved and continue to save the state of Nebraska millions of dollars while bearing some financial risk, taking on increasingly complex tasks, and having to balance their caregiving and work responsibilities, DeCamp said. Sarah Rasby also testified in support of LB 937 on behalf of AARP Nebraska. Rasby said she left her job to provide full-time care for her twin sister, who suffered a severe brain injury. The proposed credit would have helped her cover those expenses, she said. My family suffered significantly because we lost all of our income, Rasby said. We're still trying to recover from all of that. No one testified in opposition to the bill and the committee took no immediate action on it. Title. Immediate Deduction of Equipment. R&D Expenses Considered. The Revenue Committee heard testimony January 25th on a proposal intended to incentivize Nebraska businesses to invest in new equipment and technology. Elkhorn Senator R. Brad Von Gillern, sponsor of LB 1023, said the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act enacted by Congress allowed businesses to fully and immediately deduct expenses for certain business machinery and equipment, as well as research or experimental expenditures. Those two tax breaks have since expired, he said, requiring businesses to deduct their expenditures over a period of several years. LB 1023 would decouple Nebraska's tax code from both federal provisions, reinstating the immediate deductions for state income tax purposes. Allowing Nebraska businesses to keep more of their money up front would allow them to reinvest it in their operations, benefiting local economies, Von Gillern said.
Anything we can do to help business entities keep Nebraska competitive and encourage research and development is a win for our state, he said. The State Department of Revenue estimates that the bill would reduce state general fund revenue by $28.6 million in fiscal year 2025-26, $44.6 million in FY26-27, and $53.5 million in FY27-28. Brian Sloan testified in support of LB1023, on behalf of the Nebraska Chamber of Commerce and Industry, the Greater Omaha Chamber, and the Lincoln Chamber of Commerce. He said the proposal is urgent at a time when technology is becoming more integral to each of Nebraska's core industries. Sloan said the state's software companies were especially hard hit by the recent federal change, requiring them to amortize their expenses over five years rather than fully deduct them in the current year. Should Congress take action on this, LB-1023 would not be required, he said. But we simply cannot wait. Don Caldwell testified in support of the bill on behalf of Renewable Fuels Nebraska, the Nebraska Corn Growers Association, and the Nebraska Soybean Association. She said LB-1023 would make the state more attractive to companies that are deciding where to invest capital and help Nebraska businesses upgrade their facilities. Nebraska's ethanol, soybean crush, and renewable fuels plants are all continually analyzing options for efficiency, value-added products, carbon capture, and more, Caldwell said. This bill will be crucial to executing projects that are currently just possibilities. No one testified in opposition to LB-1023, and the committee took no immediate action on it. Committee, Transportation and Telecommunications Title Municipal Infrastructure Aid Proposal Advanced. Senators gave first-round approval January 23rd to a new program that would help certain Nebraska cities pay for infrastructure improvements needed to attract manufacturers and other companies. As introduced by Senator Lauren Lippincott of Central City last session, LB-600 would have allowed an existing State Department of Transportation program to finance certain infrastructure improvements in first- or second-class cities or villages. A Transportation and Telecommunications Committee amendment, adopted 42-0, to replaced the bill. Under the new proposal, which would create the Municipality Infrastructure Aid Act, first- or second-class cities or villages with a redevelopment plan approved under the Community Development Law could apply to the State Department of Economic Development for a grant to finance water and sewer systems, roads, bridges, and other infrastructure related to site development. Lippincott said LB-600 would help Nebraska communities prepare large, construction-ready sites for manufacturing, processing, trade, and other businesses. Development of one such site on the outskirts of Grand Island would be a huge economic driver for central Nebraska, he said. In its application, a city or village would have to describe how the proposed improvements would attract and support any new business or business expansion and how that activity would create additional jobs in or near the city or village, among other information. Applications also would include a cost-benefit analysis of the redevelopment plan. Only applications with a positive analysis would be eligible for a grant. Grants would be limited to $5 million per application, and grantees would have to provide matching funds equal to at least 25% of the amount of the grant. Senator Raymond Aguilar of Grand Island supported the bill, he said the proposal could help Grand Island take advantage of Union Pacific and BNSF rail lines that run through the city, reducing truck traffic and saving central Nebraska businesses millions of dollars in transportation expenses. Elmwood Senator Robert Clements, chairperson of the Appropriations Committee, 
also voted to advance LB600 to the second round of debate, but said he does not support the proposed transfer of $10 million from the state's cash reserve fund to the new program. Those funds might not be available by the end of the legislative session, he said. Following the 40-0 adoption of a technical amendment offered by Senator Mike Moser of Columbus, the bill advanced to select file on a vote of 41-0. to Title, Interoperability of 911 Mental Health Hotline Discussed. Callers to Nebraska's 911 service system could be connected to the National Suicide Prevention and Mental Health Crisis Hotline, and vice versa, under a bill heard January 22nd by the Transportation and Telecommunications Committee. Under LB 929, introduced by Omaha Senator John Fredrickson, the State Department of Health and Human Services would oversee administration of the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline in Nebraska. The service currently connects callers who are experiencing mental health-related distress with mental health care professionals at Boys Town in Omaha. The bill would require the department to coordinate with the Nebraska Public Service Commission to ensure that 988 has the capability to connect callers to and receive communications from the 911 service system. The commission would adopt statewide standards providing for that dual capability so that it would be operational by January 1st, 2025. Despite the existence of 988, Fredrickson said, the 911 system still receives many calls from Nebraskans experiencing mental health crises. He said LB 929 would allow 911 dispatchers to transfer those callers to counselors at 988, alleviating stress on law enforcement officers who otherwise would have responded. For 988 to fulfill its purpose, Fredrickson said, we need the systems to work collaboratively. Matthew Harwell, public safety dispatch supervisor at the Lincoln Emergency Communications Center, testified in support of the bill. He said 911 dispatchers are ill-equipped to help callers experiencing a mental health crisis and that collaborating with the 988 lifeline would empower dispatchers to connect callers to the appropriate services. However, this is only possible with the dual capabilities that this bill is putting into place, Harwell said. Dan Watermeyer gave neutral testimony on behalf of the Public Service Commission. The commission supports establishing standards coordinating the 911 and 988 systems, he said, although some technical challenges exist. Current differences between the systems prevent an automatic direct transfer of callers, Watermeyer said, necessitating a warm transfer in which the operator of one system brings an operator of the other system on the line before transferring the call. No one testified in opposition to LB 929, and the committee took no immediate action on it. Committee Urban Affairs Title Local Anti-Poverty Plans Proposed Certain Nebraska cities would be required to create detailed poverty elimination plans in the state's poorest communities under a proposal heard January 23rd by the Urban Affairs Committee. LB 840, introduced by Omaha Senator Terrell McKinney, would create the Poverty Elimination Action Plan Act. Beginning in July 2025, the act would require Nebraska cities with a population of at least 50,000 to adopt a five-year poverty elimination action plan, re-evaluate the plan every two years, and update it every five. Cities would submit the plans to the committee and the clerk of the legislature. Each city's plan would outline its goals for eliminating poverty in current high-poverty areas, qualified census tracts, and economic redevelopment areas, and describe its planned use of federal, state, 
and local incentives to reach that goal. McKinney said anti-poverty efforts by cities and nonprofits, particularly in his North Omaha district, often are siloed and not effectively implemented. Although the proposed plans would not in themselves eliminate poverty in Nebraska, he said, they would serve as a crucial starting point for taking action to address poverty's complex underlying causes. In addition to the plans, LB 840 would require metropolitan, primary, and first-class cities with a population of at least 20,000 to submit a report to the committee every other year describing their efforts to eliminate poverty. Reports would contain more than a dozen key components, including a comprehensive needs assessment, education and job training, and affordable housing. The committee could request any city to present its report at a public hearing. Tina Rockenbach testified in support of the bill on behalf of Community Action of Nebraska, saying it could address the silo effect McKinney referred to. When drawing up their plans, cities could partner with community action agencies and other nonprofits across the state that already are working to eliminate poverty, she added. I would hate to see a city do this from scratch, when so many of us have already done it, are doing it, Rockenbach said. Testifying in opposition to LB 840, was Blair McDonald on behalf of an association representing mid-sized Nebraska cities, including Grand Island, Hastings, and Kearney. The association supports the goal of eliminating poverty, she said, but its member cities lack the resources, staff, and expertise to meet the bill's requirements. McKinney's proposal would provide no state funding to help cities create the proposed plans, McDonald said. While the concept is both worthwhile and noble, she said, it would be incredibly costly and difficult to implement. The committee took no immediate action on LB 840.